Hello and welcome to Romance at a Glance. I'm so happy you're here. This is your host, Shannon, and we are talking today to the amazingly wonderful, smart writer, Erin LaRosa. We talked about everything today from social media to story, what makes a good story, what makes a good couple, what causes great conflict, um, and we commiserated. We commiserated on what it's like to have to have a social media presence. I know you all are going to love her as much as we did. Please welcome author Erin LaRosa. Romance at a glance. Uh huh. Romance at a glance. What you saying? Romance at a glance. Go ahead, girl. So, uh, what I think is cool is that you've written two nonfiction books, and now this is your first fiction romance. Uh, this sort of segues yeah. me into woman skills because I feel like uh, not falling into shark infested waters feels like a woman skill. Um, how? how t- talk to us a little bit about like publishing nonfiction and writing nonfiction versus you know fiction. How how does that work out yeah. for you? It was really interesting. You know, I was writing at BuzzFeed and this was, um, I guess, like five years ago when I left and would have been, I was at BuzzFeed for five years. So maybe almost like 10 years ago when I was at BuzzFeed. Um, And, you know, I was writing articles and most of it was like kind of humorous. And so I actually had a, a friend of mine who worked at a publisher and he was like, you know, we need someone to help us write this um, nonfiction book and can you do it? And so I actually was a writer for hire for my first book, Woman Skills, and um, had written fiction before that because I went to school for writing and um, I have so many novels that will never see the light of day, like failed novels that just didn't work. Um, but when he came to me with that, you know, I was kind of like, well, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. I've never thought about nonfiction. Like here's just like, you know, a little publishing deal on a plate. It wasn't a ton of money, but I had a day job, so it seemed okay. Um, and so, yeah, I wrote that book. I had six months to write it. And I had to come up with like what would be in it, all of the chapters. And to be honest, like I'm not that handy of a person, right? Like I don't really know like how to do most of the things that I had to describe in the book. So I had to do a ton of research and um, I learned a lot. It, it's basically like that book is is kind of like a humorous guide if you need just like everyday life skills. And so it felt interesting to write because I was like well these are life skills that I don't have and now no like now I know how to get rid of fruit flies or you know whatever it is um but it was a a very like easy process probably really different from like how a lot of people think of publishing just because I was in this writing space I had kind of like put myself in this career where I was, I was writing every single day, people could see my work. It was kind of the height of Buzzfeed, right? So it was like when everyone was sharing the quizzes on Facebook or, you know, whatever, like think of that time capsule of time. And so it was like very um, random and got me started on nonfiction because after that I was like, you know what, this was like fun to write and I think I could do it again. And one of the things that I wrote a lot about at BuzzFeed was being a redhead. So my next book pitch was um, called The Big Redhead Book. And I had read a lot of books about redheads because 
we're kind of a small and mighty community. Like it's just one of these identities where there's not a lot of us. So when we see each other, we're kind of excited about it. And it's also an identity where, you know, you grow up and people tease you a lot for your hair color. Like I was teased and bullied a lot for my hair color, but now that I'm older, I like really appreciate it and like love my hair. And so I think a lot of red haired adults experience that. So, and I knew from, from writing for Buzzfeed that there was an audience for it because articles I would write would go viral. People would share it with their redhead friends. So I worked on a pitch um, for that and sent it out to, to agents. And I think luckily again, because I had worked at Buzzfeed, people would see that in the subject line, like Buzzfeed writer. I I like knew how to market myself. I knew what was interesting about me. And it was that I worked at Buzzfeed at the the height of Buzzfeed. So I like really emphasized that um, and ended up getting like a couple of agents interested. And that was great. And then um, they helped me to sell, you know, my agent helped me to sell that book. I actually have a totally different agent now that I'm writing fiction because my first agent's specialty was nonfiction. And so when I came to her with fiction ideas, she was kind of like, you know, I, I'm not the person for this. Like, I can't really help you here. So I had to start all over again from scratch with, with fiction. And I didn't really have the blessing of like working at a company that was kind of like beloved at the time. So like when I was querying um, for better or worse, I just had to kind of rely on what I thought was interesting about the story, like that it was about celebrity chefs, that it was about fake dating, uh, enemies to lovers, like these tropes that I know I kind of lean back on that. I do think like a superpower of mine would be writing a pitch letter. <laughs> like I'm very good at pitching myself. That's a so um, it is. And, you know, I'm doing um, a mentorship program called Smooch Pit and it's for like up and coming writers who, who need help with, cover letters and I was like here I am tag me in I was like this is gonna be great because I know how to do that but yeah it's it's like if you write a good letter that gets your foot in the door right because they'll read your first 10 pages or your first 20 pages or whatever they uh, want to but then yeah you have to you have to hope that your writing is strong enough that they actually want to work with you so just one part of the puzzle some days though like so when you're talking, I'm just like, okay, like I feel convicted in my own soul because I need to do this for me, but for music, like to pitch myself when I'm like, you know, writing to all these like publications to write about me and write us and all this. Stuff. Um, and there's some days where I feel like I just sit and cry a bit and I'm just like, I just want to make, I just want to make the music. I don't want to have to market it now. I have to try to figure out who I sound like, and what artists I, I sound like and who am I supposed to be pitched with and whatever. So like the fact that you offer yes. a, a class or something where people can actually go because it feels like a daunting task because yes, you might be amazing at whatever your art is, but that does not transfer to all the other little tiny minutia that you have to do in order for people to just even be able to see your art to begin Shawnee, you're like nailing it on the head. And I like, it is the hardest part, I think, of of publishing or even just being in the arts profession, right? Like you're talking about music, like the fact that you have to think of yourself as not just an artist, but a marketing engine is really hard. And especially right now where the world is totally on fire, like the last thing I want to do is be on social media. 
but like my book is coming out a week and I have to be on social media. But it is this like unfortunate truth of like publishers want to see how you are going to help them sell the book. And so it is this thing where you have to kind of fake it till you make it kind of deal. And I, I'm a huge believer in that where it's sort of like, you know, you don't necessarily have to have all of the goods up front, but you can fake it. Like you can say like, here's what I plan to do. Here's who I know. And, you know, you'll make those connections, like you'll figure it out. Um, And that's kind of what I've done a lot with my pitching too, is sort of like, I highlight like, look, I'm a hustler. Like I really pitch myself. I go, I like swing for the, for the mountains or whatever. And I hit it. Um, And so I don't know, like, it's interesting because I've gotten responses like from my publishers and from my agents where they're like, we wish all of our clients were like you. Like we wish that they were like pitching themselves. And I'm like, I know why you, why you want them to be like that because that means the author is putting in more money. like 10 yeah. times yeah. the work. Yeah. Sure. But it is exhausting. It's so exhausting. But I do think that is like a good and a bad thing about me is that I am like a marketing machine for myself and um, like, you know, know how to work social media because of my, my past jobs. That's the problem. Yeah. I, I know how to work social media and I don't want to, I don't. Same. <laughs> Same. Like, I want off the ride. Yeah. Like I, I'd like, I'd love to delete Facebook. I would have deleted it yesterday if I did not need it to run these ads and to like, do like, I don't want to exist on the internet anymore. It's funny. Cause it's like, I feel like, you know, my generation is when we got the internet and you know, whatever. And like, I feel like I'm coming to the other side and everybody in the, our age gap was like, how do we disappear ourselves off of, the, off of this ride? Totally. I know my friend is doing a, a 30 day detox from social media. And I was like, as soon as my book launches and I'm done with promo, I'm doing that. Like I'm going off of it for 30 days and just like detoxing my brain because I agree. It's like, I don't want to be plugged in anymore. I just want to like pretend my phone isn't real. It's not there. Like live my life and enjoy every moment. But yeah, you can't. Listen, you have to check Instagram. I, you have to. And not only that, right? So what I went, I went to Cuba. And in Cuba, there's almost no internet in places you go. You have to like bribe the government to be somebody who has the internet. So every so often though, you might find a cafe or a hotel that has it. But pretty much if you want internet, you have to go sit in the park with everybody else to access the public Wi-Fi. Um, and wow. so every morning I would wake up and this is how I realized how addicted to social media I was. I'd wake up and I click Instagram immediately and my phone would be like, no, you, you can't. <laughs> and I, and I, and I did every single day, even though like my brain didn't know, like you can't do that first thing in the morning. And I was like, ah, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm like in the matrix, heavily addicted to my social media. <laughs> yeah. Like that is crazy, isn't it? Like that's, it's just yeah. like bad for us I think but I it's also like I don't know I I also get a lot of pleasure like I was watching like videos of that viral emu on TikTok last night and I was like yeah th- this is fun like this is nice I'm enjoying myself so it is it I is a give and take it's like it's the best and the worst because you learn there's so much access to information access to people of different cultures or or different languages or or different just thoughts and and ways of living and like things you would never have access to like the real inside scoop 
into like how they live their life, how they parent their children, how they wash their dog, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, and then it's also like the lowest lows where you're like, Ooh, I spent an hour and I don't really feel like any of that was valid or like valuable content. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it is like so true. And, and also like as a creative person, what a time to be alive where you can reach audiences. We have people listening from like 65 countries or something like that. What a time to be alive. We could wow. never have done that 10 years we're, ago. We're or 20 number years one ago. in Macedonia. <laughs> I know, right? What? Like the Bahamas. I had no idea. Charting. Oh my lord! I know, I know. So it's Ladies. like, okay, yeah. You know, I would like to be number one in like the U.S. market because it's a massive market. But like, you know what, baby steps? I'll take Macedonia. Hello, friends from Macedonia. Hello, Macedonia. Um, yes, but it's 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 like a it's the coolest thing ever because like you're a first. You know, this is your debut fiction book, and you're like, I've seen the the press like that your um, publisher sent of like the places where you're getting articles and stuff, and like you're all over. And I feel like that would not have, obviously you work really hard, you're pitching, your book is good, but um, even that like wouldn't have been possible. You'd be on, you'd be like in the phone book 20 years ago. Hello. You couldn't just send out pitch email after pitch email. I know. That is weird to think about. Like how did, how did books become bestsellers? And I, I guess it was like placement in bookstores. Like I remember, um, I worked at a Borders, RIP to Borders, uh, when I was in college. And yeah, and then after college, I worked at Random House as an assistant there. And I learned all about how publishers buy uh, real estate at bookstores like Barnes and Noble and Borders and all these other places. So kind of the books that your eyes get naturally drawn to are the ones up front Mm -hmm. that are on displays. And those are completely bought and purchased by publishers, which I had no idea even when I was working at a bookstore that I was like, oh, that's like, that's a place for Harlequin. Like that's the place for St. Martin's. That's the place for Random House. And it, it really changed my perspective on like what books become popular versus not uh, because it is so dependent on who you get published by. Oh yeah, absolutely. I also think the reviewers from like the New York times or the Washington post had a lot more power um, before everyone had access to more different reviewers. And if they said a book was great and started it, it's like people would go out and just buy it and read it. Um, And if they said a book sucked, then like there was no other like counter opinions. Um, And I personally love that now like people come to me and Shawnee as reviewers because they know what kind of books we like. They have a similar sensibility. Sure. They might disagree with our like review sometimes, but they also know like how we review what we're looking for, what we, you know, Mm -hmm. what our sort of standards for, for a great story or great sex scenes or whatever are. Um, I think it's, I think it's like, again, hi, the best and the worst. Would I like to have no social media? Sure. Do I run a business? Yes, I do. Therefore, social media is here to stay. Um, so when, when you were thinking up this story, are, do you come from like a cooking background? You guys, the book, I'm sorry. I didn't even say the book title. I also, you know what I'm going to say it in the intro. This is a refresher. <laughs> your listeners, you know, I already said this to you in the intro, but it's called for butter or worse, which is a fabulous title. Um, Thank you. Do you cook? Do you cook a lot? Are you into like the chef scene? Do you have friends who are chefs? Like, how did you get into this? Yeah. So, you know, I, 
most of my summer jobs growing up were in restaurants. I was a pretty decent hostess and one summer served as a um, waitress and was the world's worst waitress. So that is a very hard job. Um, But I was around kitchens quite a lot uh, growing up. And also my my family, like my mom really does not like cooking, like hates cooking. My dad is a pretty good baker. Um, but I was kind of obsessed with this idea of bringing my family together for dinners because, you know, we, I grew up like in the early two thousands, nineties. And so there was a lot of like, not really spending family meals together, but I guess I watched a lot of TV where everyone spent family meals together. And I was like, I know what'll bring us together. It'll be food. So I ended up cooking a lot, like probably starting around the age of 10. Like I would look up recipes. I would buy cookbooks. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of like, I'm hoping that my child is you (laughs) sending it out to the (laughs) universe right now. Yeah. Kira and Molly. I guess if you you want to, yeah, if you want to encourage them, just never have dinners together and make them believe that the only way to bring their family together is through cooking. Okay. Well, we have family meals. That was my We have family meals three times a day together. So. Okay. Mm, I'll I'll figure out another end. This is going to be tough. I'm not sure it's going to (laughs) work. Um, But yeah, so I've been, I've been cooking like, you know, since I was able and then, when I was researching, you know, potentially working on a new fiction book, I really wanted to highlight a profession that is male dominated and show a woman in that profession. And I was really surprised to see that uh, at the time when I researched, it was 7% of kitchens in America are run by women, which is like horrifying because that's where you really get the money, right? So the updated stats are that now it's 20% of kitchens in America are run by women, but those women only make 93% of what the men make. So it's just like a super male dominated sexist industry. And I also am obsessed with cooking shows, but I noticed that a lot of the men get to be these kind of domineering, know-it-all people, but the women are typically very nurturing, very caring. And I, as a person who has worked like in corporate America in positions of leadership, got really sick of when men wanted me to be nice or wanted me to be sweet all the time. And if I spoke my mind, I feel like I got punished. And so I really wanted my lead character, Nina, to just assert herself and be in this male dominated industry and see what would happen. Like how would people respond to her? How would her coworkers respond to her and sort of show that. But I really took great care in the book to make sure that she never really softens. Like she doesn't feel like she has to soften herself because I don't think women should have to soften themselves. Um, And so that was kind of the driving force behind my book was like, how do we explore a sexist industry with a really strong female lead at the core of it. And, you know, writing about food is just a delight and writing about the LA food scene is lovely. Like you've both lived in LA. It's so diverse and delicious. And that was really fun to incorporate too. You know, I know that I, donut place they went to. I was like, where the fuck is that donut place? I've never been there. I was like, okay, so I based, place? It, I based all, it on I'm a donut like, place. Yeah, it's called Donut Friend. It's in Highland Park. And um, they don't have a tea room, but I basically made 
like that donut shop into what I would want it to be, which would be like serving high tea, but in this like kind of like vegan, um, yummy fashion. Cause I love high tea. I just love like baked goods and tea, but I was like, how yeah. would, how would you elevate that and make it feel really cool? So I'm just like manifesting that that place will open. <laughs> you just, uh, you gave me a flashback because I, so I went to FIU, uh, in, uh, Miami. And it's like, at the time I was there, it was like top three or top five hospitality management um, schools. So every, mm-hmm. every almost everyone in my dorm had gone to culinary school and now was coming to learn hospitality management, like business, right? So every friend I had was a chef, like, and they used to have tastings and all the sorts of things. And I used to do the South Beach Wine and Food Festival every year because they gave you like $700 mm-hmm. like scholarship. Um, and so for the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, it was all of the celebrity chefs of the time, like Emerald, Giada, whatever, and like all these people. So I, with no training, was like a, like a prepper in the kitchen, like chopping things and doing stuff for their demos and all this stuff and like interacting with these chefs that I like, I didn't even understand like how big they were in like the culinary world. I'll all I remember is what, uh, well, one time they made me a waiter. That's why I was laughing when you said, like, I was the worst waitress in the world. Because <laughs> one day they came and they're like, Shani, we're missing, like, a, a waiter for the Lowe's Hotel fine dining um, experience. I'd never been a, wage, a waiter a day in my goddamn life, okay? And so they give me this tutorial, like, two minutes before I go out. They're like, when you pour the water, you, you do it like this, and you got to twist the bottle in a certain way to make it whatever. Nope. I poured water on someone. I completely spilled a bottle of water oh, on, no. on a guest or whatever. Oh, no. And it was my first day finding out how the plates, I always wondered, how do you serve all these massive people hot plates? Like, and it was the first time I was like ever in a kitchen where they take a hot plate out of a thing. There's an assembly line of people and like literally putting the plate together, boom, 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 on the thing. I was like, this is so freaking cool. Like, oh my gosh. So like anything now to do with like celebrity chefs and stuff, I think it's really cool because I spent so much time behind the scenes just like getting to watch, you know? I will say that Emeril really pissed me off one day because he sent back all the cilantro that was supposed to be like chopped for a demo. It was uh, four, five gallon buckets of cilantro. Okay. And he was like, I need this not chopped. I need it leafed. Right. So we had to get a whole bunch more cilantro and just pull the leaves off. And then when I went to his demo, do you want to know how much of that cilantro he used? Oh, no. (laughs) About a a sprinkle. Oh, oh man. That's just wild. You know, it's like, I totally. I really appreciate like chefs who view their food as art, but there is this thing where it's like the, the tyrant, the like tyrant, like the, that, like, I don't know if you're watching the bear, which is like a new show about a male chef, but there is this like prototype of like men getting away with a lot of bad behavior, including like sending back five gallons of cilantro or whatever, uh, when you barely use it. And, you know, I think that's the interesting thing. Like what if that had been Ina Garten or Rachel Ray or whatever, like how would people respond to that? And would she even feel confident enough to be like, yeah. I need, be like, I need oh, this actually just bitch. leech. Honestly, that's, that's like, right. Uh, Giada, yeah. Giada, she's very tiny. Uh, 
oh, a oh, woman. Yeah. She used to, she had these platforms that were like, I don't know, a foot tall, I feel like, just so she could be Bless like the same height. But she she would do the same things that the guys would do, right? Like she Go wasn't ahead. she also wasn't easy to work with, the same as they weren't easy to work with, but she definitely got labeled much harsher uh than the guys did for the same bullshit. You know what I mean? Right. So so you're hundred yeah. percent correct in that. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, he there. He's a visionary, and she's a diva. Yeah, right. Sort of attitude. Super interesting. Yeah, I feel like she wore those shoes just so she could look people in the eye. <laughs> you gotta you. do what you gotta do. Yeah. Um, I would be like, "Where is my apple box behind this table? I am too short <laughs> to cook at this this this, this freaking table." But Loki, that's what it was. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You have to. You have to. Those demo tables are way too high for high. filming purposes. Um, <laughs> I so when you're or when you're reading, are you a big fan of the fake dating trope? Is that how you sort of came to the fake dating, or how did the the tropes come into it? Yeah, I think I started actually with enemies to lovers, and um, you know it's so weird because I've never been in a relationship that is enemies to lovers. I really don't like confrontation. And so (laughs) it's hard for me to like, like I know that that people do have relationships that maybe start off like tumultuous or whatever, but I've personally never experienced, but I love reading about it because like seeing that arc of like, I can't stand you. And then they're like, no, I really love you. And you've changed me and I'm a better person because of you is very interesting. And you get all that like, great tension and witty banter. Um, But the fake dating, I feel like came next. And, you know, fake dating is a really tough trope to pull off because like, again, that's, that's a relationship I've never had to be in. Like I've never had to fake date someone. So you have to think of like, what would force these people to really have to fake date and, um, because they were celebrities that definitely made it easier because those are the people we hear most about fake dating. Um, and so that was, that ended up being really fun to play with and allowed the fact that they are enemies and don't like each other to kind of, you know, force them together. Right. Cause it's like, why do these people have to be together? They have to fake a relationship. So, um, at the opening of my book, I'm not spoiling anything, but but Nina quits during a, an episode live on air. And so after that, I was like, how do we force these two together? And fake dating felt like a really natural way to do that. You know, the enemies to lovers, like that, that I honestly always feel like is hard. Um, yeah. Because, because um how like okay so to make someone an enemy they had to do something that the other character just doesn't like or is not down with and i always feel like it's a fine art to not to like have have them fighting over things but not things that they can't come back from you know like i was so bridget there's a fine line if you make a character an asshole there's a line in which i will no longer accept them as like in a relationship i'm just like no (laughs) like it's over for you there's no redemption can't do it. So I always feel like when, when we're talking enemies to lovers, that it takes a really skilled hand in knowing how far to like, you know, push people or how, how far to make the MCs like pushing each other, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I think that that's really cool. Um, but did you find that, that, that you, when you were doing that, that you had to be careful? 
you know, I think I was actually too careful in my first draft because my editor came back and she was like, I really want them to like hate each other though. And I need, <laughs> I needed to be a better reason. So I think, um, in my first draft, they were just kind of making digs at each other and, uh, Nina and Leo are my leads. So Leo had said something, you know, hurtful, but maybe had given her a nickname and my character's name was originally Cassie. So maybe had called her like classless Cassie or whatever it was. I can't remember. I was um, like, Cassie. <laughs> Right. Assie, Cassie, that would be good. Um, different, different story, but good. Um, so I changed her name to Nina and I have him call her nasty Nina on air. It was, it was a word that I was like, any woman being called nasty at this point in time, like would quit, like that would be it. And so I really, ha I push him to this point and I push her to this point where like they cannot work together. They cannot be in the same room. He says this thing he can't take back. Throughout the novel, she never forgives him for that. Like that is not part of this book, um, but they learn to accept what happened and move on from it. And with him, you know, like I saw someone's, um, there's a, a great bookseller who sent me an image of a text exchange he had with a reader and the reader was like okay I really hate Leo right now and I'm not sure I can do this because he said this thing to her and then like an hour later she wrote back and she was like okay I like Leo now um but you know like I think when you start my book like you're definitely going to see that they are enemies like they do not like each other um and you might be like, I don't like this character either. Like you might side with one or the other, uh, but I try to really quickly show why they've behaved this way and why we need empathy for them and kind of give you the breadcrumbs of like, this is going to change, like they're going to evolve. But yeah, I really kind of pushed them heavy. Uh, and I think a lot of the feedback has been like that I got the enemies to lovers trope, right? Because I really push them in that direction and then am able to dial it back in a way that is believable and feels earned. I think, I think that's actually like super intelligent of a way to cause conflict where he can say something that is triggering to you as, to a person as a woman, right? Um, because guys say stuff that for them is innocuous and for us, yeah. we're, we're like, absolutely not. I will not allow that. I, I had this moment with my partner, like last year where he said something. He's like, don't be uppity. And I said, bruh, excuse me or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he had no concept of the history of the word uppity. He had no like whatever he right. just thought it was he thought he was being funny because he thought the, the word uppity was funny right so let me tell you he got a lesson he got a lesson that day <laughs> that, lesson that in never, black history <laughs> and that he never forgot i said sir yeah. he said he said my bad i will not be using that term again <laughs> but yeah like, words have power yeah and I just thought, I just think that that's actually really smart because like there are things that you're, that are going to trigger one group that another group fully doesn't. And it's an easy way to cause an instant like. Kaboof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think then it makes her quitting the show more believable because it had to be 
it had to be just soul crushing for her to leave a cooking show that she's been on for multiple seasons and has, you know, dear romance besties. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash romance at a glance to check out our awesome perks, including stickers, watching movies with us, naughty book boxes, and you can even be on the show. Can't be a patron. You can still support the show by purchasing books or things we recommend through our affiliate links on our show notes and our dope ass website. Thanks for the commission. Or you can leave a review for the show on Apple podcasts. Screenshot your review, send it to us on Instagram, and we'll send you some stickers. And then when you're doing like the, cause your, your book is definitely a slow burn when you're yeah. writing the slow burn, like how, how are you and, or your editor like deciding like when the milestones of like the first kiss and the first groping or whatever, how that all should play out. Yeah. So I originally had their first kiss happen within the first 50 pages. Um, but then when I kept rereading it, I just felt, I was like, you know, I just don't think that feels right. Like they don't like each other. They have to get over this big thing that he did. Um, and all of the hurt that she's caused him too. So I really had to navigate like when, when is that allowed to happen when, and you know, their first kiss happens as part of their fake dating. Um, it's prompted by their publicist who tells them like, you've got to amp it up. And then their second kiss happens, uh, behind closed doors and feels more like, okay, this is the first kiss they're doing as a couple. Um, and then in terms of like, when do I, when do I drop like the sex scenes? Like the first sex scene is um, her being eaten out and then their next sex scene is 69 and then they're boning on a kitchen table. Sorry, spoiler alerts, things to come. <laughs> but um, those come, I think after page 150 and I, I really felt like I needed I needed you to believe that they would want to give each other pleasure and that especially like they would feel like they could open up to each other and be vulnerable to each other during sex and ask for what they want. And, um, you know, that took a little more time. And so like, I'm, I just turned in like my second round of rewrites for book two and things are much faster in that book uh, because it's not enemies to lovers. So, you know, I think it's it really Jasmine? Actually, Asking no, it's Sophie. I know people oh, always Sophie want another. There. They want like uh, Jasmine or Gavin. Uh, and, you know, for yes. me, I was like, I kind of wanted to leave the food world and go into a different part of LA. So I sold this as part of a series and it was the Hollywood series. So it'll follow like everyone will have fame in some kind of a way. But yeah, Celebrity okay. Chef, again, I, I was like, I, I think I need to move on from the chef world. But yeah, I love Jasmine. She is so badass. I'm obsessed with her. She could be like a, little, like a little novella, I'm just saying. You could like self-publish it on the side. I think saying? that's hey, a really complete. great idea because people like love her character and so do I. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of wrote her a little bit based off of like things I'm seeing that my own daughter loves. Like my daughter loves motorcycles. So Jasmine writes a motorcycle and I like, I like to kind of sprinkle these things in probably my next book is going to have a basketball playing person. Cause my daughter loves basketball. So any, anything you see in the book is probably just inspired by something. One of the things I thought was cute was that um i saw on your instagram i i think it was like halloween or something um you dressed up like your daughter was like a bee 
and uh-huh. <laughs> your partner was like a beekeeper. Um, and yeah. I just, I just love this picture also. Also, um, and I just, it gave me like the energy, the family energy. I'm like, this is a really fun like family. Um, also like I, have a good time. I generally enjoyed your social media because it has, you know, every time people give you advice on like how to do social media, they're like, it's 2022 authenticity is the, you know, people want to know who you really are, you know? Um, and you have beautifully curated a very authentic feeling, uh, social media as well as also, promoting the things that you need to promote and that sort of thing. And I, I just think that that's really cool. I can tell that you know what, you, what you're doing. Like, also. That's so funny. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I'm so flattered. I'm like, great. Cause half the time I'm like, God, I need to work on my brand. Like, what am I online? But I'm <laughs> glad it's coming across well. No, I think you're doing a great job. Like for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to find a balance. Like I I have all of these photos of my daughter and I don't want to like post all of them because they're just like, there are things where I'm like, I don't know like what she'll want me to post about her. She's only two. So I'm kind of like, it's it's like a weird balance. But yeah, I am obsessed with her. So it's hard for me to not post about her constantly. I post a lot about my cats because I'll never know what they think. But I think they like the limelight. But yeah. Oh, awesome. I have the same thing. I have the same thing about my kids. I do know some people uh, who have like more public facing Instagrams have like the family private one that only like 50 people or 100 people can have access to. But oh, then, that's interesting. Maybe you know, I'll so then that. you would have like, yeah, like a because then I have a few friends who do that because they don't want, you know, the the random people of the internet, they want them to see their business and all that other stuff, but not like necessarily like the fun, you know, food all over the face photos and whatnot. Right. <laughs> Although those are great. So I, I, I love a, them. They're my favorites, but. <laughs> I have a question about sex. So, yes. so please, when, God, when yes. <laughs> and feel free to elaborate. This is going to be a little open-ended, but like, so when you are actively writing uh, the sex scene, some people talk about like, they feel incredibly awkward writing them. Some people are like, yeah, I was getting in there and it was, you know, whatever. (laughs) Do you ever find also that like you, when you're writing them, you're like, "Mm, I should probably pull this back a little bit or like, I think this might need a little bit more, give a little little oomph or whatever. Like how is the process of writing sex? Yeah. So it's interesting because with my first book, I was always really excited to write the sex scenes and I love writing them. I mean, that's like one of my favorite things about reading romance books is like when it's open door and we get all the sex, like I just think it's so empowering to read about female pleasure in any form. And so it's, it's also lovely in romance books when you read, um, like stories where the women feel like they can ask for what they want, where their partner wants to give them pleasure. Like that is just like chef's kiss. Um, and so for my first book, I, I knew they were coming and I kind of wrote the book in sequence and was very excited to write it. And I remember like one of the most humiliating things is like getting notes back on your sex scene. Like when you get notes from your editor and they're like, could you not use this word? Because it's like really weird to use. And then you're like, God damn it. Like, I swear I've, I, I know what I'm talking about. Like, please. Like I've had sex um, before. <laughs> right. I just, I you just feel sex. humiliated. Yeah. You just feel humiliated. Um, 
but for my second book, I actually wrote the sex scenes first because I was so excited to write them and they were in my head before any other scenes were. And so I wrote the sex scenes first. Um, and I really enjoy the process. Like I never feel awkward about it. I, maybe it's because I was raised like super conservative Catholic family or something. And we never talked about it. Like my parents never said the word sex scene or sex to me until recently when my mom was like, is your book going to have sex in it? And I was like, whoa, you just said that word to me. Um, but I feel like now I over index on the other side of the spectrum where I'm just like, I'm going to talk about it because, you know, I want, I also like want my daughter to feel like, you know, whatever sex she chooses to have, she feels good about it. She feels excited by it because, you know, like that's the, that's the best kind to have, like when you're excited and it's about your pleasure and you're giving someone else pleasure too, like, great. Like I want her to be happy. So I want her to think too, that I am sex positive and I am, and I, I love writing sex scenes. Like, I know I totally get why people are awkward about it because like now I'm experiencing this thing where like my mother-in-law texted me and she was like, I finished your book. And I was like, super cool. Great. And she was like, I was properly scandalized by the sex scenes. And I was like, yeah, I bet you were like, I don't want this to be happening either, but here we are. So yeah, it is a, it is a fine line. I feel like uh, a lot of times when people ask me like what, what I do and stuff like that, I'm like, oh, I do music and I also have a podcast. And they're like, oh, what's it about? And I'm like, oh, we read romance uh-huh. novels. We talk openly about sex or whatever. They're like, I'll check it out. I'm like, please don't. Please, mm-hmm. <laughs> please don't check it. There's things I, I say know. in there that like I just don't need you to know about me. Yeah. Like it's That's just, right. you know, uh, so I. Like, do I, I want my friends and family to buy the book? Yes. yes. Do I want them to read it? No. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not past 150 for this book so just stop stop halfway through the book and you're good <laughs> i feel like uh, should i ever write a romance novel would not be surprised at all like i was a person in high school who was like reading my favorite romance novel out loud to them in the library at school and i was like you guys are not gonna believe this <laughs> i'm like and they were sitting there like what are you oh that's reading so today? funny like i feel like my friends and family are like yes this is all <laughs> this is all according to what we are not shocked about that is so but then funny. i'll definitely have friends who are that. like I know you. I'm not gonna read this because I know these two. You're too much for your your mind is too much for. You know, there are some things your friends don't need to know. Like, I I feel like Bridget is Bridget is my best friend because she and I just know too much about each other at this point. We're invested. Like you, you know, there's a minute where you're just locked in, just completely locked in. You, you know what? You know, but you, you know so much about me. I know so much about you. How we take all this to the grave, and we just we just. <laughs> We're not taking any of it to the grave, Shana. We tell it's everyone on this podcast. podcast. Our dear <laughs> listeners know everything about yeah. us. <laughs> I, I, I never asked this question, but I'm so curious. Because you said you had the sex scene in your head ahead of time. And I'm always wondering, like, how an author knows what kind of sex, I don't know how else to say that, like, what kind of sex their characters yeah. would have, right? Like, yeah. we, we, did, we read a series before where, like, every book had a different type of sex, whether it was BDSM or this or that or whatever, or a hybrid and stuff like how do you know what kind of sex a character would have and when does like when does yeah. that come to you in the process like that's 
I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk to you about it in terms of my second book, because um, that's most fresh in my mind. But I knew that um, my second book was going to involve a child actor, like a, a guy who had been kind of like a Kieran Culkin type and then grown up and like become a like kind of indie movie dude. And so I immediately was sort of like thinking about actors and the performative nature. And so like one of their first scenes is like, it happens outside and it's sort of like that kind of like a little bit of like voyeur aspect to it. But I did think about him in terms of like, well, what would he be used to or comfortable with or what would kind of like excite him? Um, And he is also a potter so he does a lot of crafting so there's like a scene that happens after after a, a intense session with the pottery wheel <laughs> and um uh so you know there's like things like that that I kind of had in my mind but definitely like then when I started fleshing out the characters and writing their chapters like certain things changed and I would move things um like she had a uh, Sophie as a background as like a masseuse. So there's a little bit of like a happy ending scene. And I knew there would be that in this book. And so I wrote that, but the location definitely changed uh, as I was writing the chapters to like fit it in. But like, yeah, I, th- I thought about like, okay, what are their backgrounds? Like, how can I be playful with that? Cause I really like, I liked the idea of like my, my next book, the characters are very playful and, um, kind of allow each other to be very silly together so I just wanted their sex to be kind of super joyful and different and and unique uh I think in one scene yeah they do like role playing because again he's he has an actor background so you know I try to I try to tap into their um personalities and what they feel comfortable and good about what would excite them I like this. I like this a lot. I'm into role playing. I'm into, into the it. massage happy ending. Into it. My into language. it. Into <laughs> it. Yeah, and I think there's like part of me was the same. I was like, those just sound really fun, and I want to write that. Like, like that should be that should be in this book. So yeah, like a lot of it is also coming from me as a human and a reader, being like, what would I like to read? Like, what do I want people to get joy from? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, this is a slight bit of a tangent, but uh, I follow this woman on TikTok and she talks about sex and ADHD, right? So uh, I have ADHD to the max. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the pipeline from ADHD to polyamory. Um, and uh, Oh, that's interesting. Now I'm like, I need to Google this. <laughs> It's it's fascinating. I mean, I spend way too much time data gathering as a human. It's like my hobby is just gathering data. Um, But there's one woman I I really enjoy because she made me really feel normal in like how my brain thinks about sex, which is like either I'm in states of like being hypersexual, like where I'm like every day just like, where it at, where it at, where it at. And then I can go, (laughs) I can go months forgetting it exists, like just forgetting sex exists at all. Or like, I would like, if I was daydreaming during sex, I'd be like, oh man, am I not into this? But I am into this, but I'm daydreaming. I can't stay focused or whatever. And, and just learning that that was just normal, you know, and also learning that, no, I just, I need variety of sex. Otherwise I get bored. Like any other hobby or thing in my existence, I will get bored with it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I enjoy when there is uh, a plethora of different types of sexual like things to choose from in books where they're doing different stuff. It's not just the same kind of 
thing the whole time. Uh, so I enjoy that. I enjoy this like role playing, it's a little this in the backyard, you know, stuff like that. Why not? I think that's dope. Let's have fun. We only live, I mean, we only live yeah. once, right? <laughs> I know. That's yeah. my feeling too. I am like my second book. I'm like, no, really. My parents cannot read this one because it is definitely more sex heavy. I think part of your question was like, when do you pull back? And I'm waiting for notes on my second one where I'm like, is my editor going to just be like, could you like nix one of these scenes? <laughs> like, I have no idea. And you're going to be like, um, absolutely not. And please don't ever ask me that again. We're keeping them all. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll, I'll use the deleted scene as like a bonus or something for people to read later. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, but there's a, there is definitely a lot of um, joyful sex in my book too. I'm very happy about it. How do you feel about, because like, this is something we don't, I feel like I might've asked this question once or twice before in the past, but I always think about it, but I never thought about it in terms of your editor. Right. So just knowing that people are getting off to your book. Like when you write that book, people are hands down <laughs> getting off to your That's book. Right. But I hope. I, but there's also, oops, sorry. There's also people who are, um, who see your book before it goes out. And I just forgot about that. Cause like I used to produce audiobooks, right? Um, and when you're reading an erotic novel like, or a romance novel, I mean, it leads to fun stuff with your own partner while you're producing that book. Uh, so your editor also gets to read these things. And so you'll, I mean, you'll never know. I don't know if you'll ask your editor or not, but there's a possibility that your editor is also getting off to your books. And I just forgot. I know, it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Like I, that's why I read romance books too. Like we all want to get it off. Um, but you know, my, I feel like my, I have a new editor for book two and I am so curious as to what her notes will be because, um, my last editor for book one was like super sweet, like never really like, like commented heavy handed in them. My agent is funny. She'll be like, this is really hot, you know, like just like my hype woman. Um, so I know that she's enjoying it, but yeah, I am, I am very curious about that. And, you know, I get like, it's funny cause you get so many people at a publisher reading your book. So like I got notes from a copy editor on my first book and she like wrote me a little message before the copy edits. And she was like, I just want you to know, I really loved your book and it's so fun. And I, yeah, I have those thoughts where I'm like, I hope you enjoyed the 69 scene. Like, I hope it was a real joy for you. Um, any yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, it is funny. And no one, like, I wish people would talk to me more about it. I think the closest people will say is like, I loved this scene or, you know, like they'll tell me like one of the sex scenes, but yeah, we like a lot of people, I think feel a little nervous or shy about even bringing it up uh, you know, to me, but I love it. You know, it's funny though. Like, so I'm not like nervous or shy to talk in detail about sex with someone, but it's always just knowing if they're okay with that. And so like, I never know how to address that. Like, it's like, can I talk to you about sex? Are we, you know, can we get into this? Like, and if someone's <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Then I'm like, great, here we go. Like, <laughs> but yeah. there's always that one moment where you're trying to gauge like, would this person be okay? To- <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just err on the side of talking about it, and then just kind of, you know, <laughs> you, know you throw well, out that, <laughs> you throw out that like yeah. bait question, I, that like that yeah, like always. kind yeah. of softer like sexual question. You see how they handle that, and then if they're like, 
if they're enthusiastic, you're like, great, we're in this. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to going, looping it back to the beginning as I wrap up, as I like to do, I'm trying to think of how to uh, perfectly pitch the book club that I would like to have in my new neighborhood. I just moved to because I want to, in a nice way, say we will not be reading any boring books. We will only be reading fun books with lots of spice. <laughs> would anyone yeah. like to come? I and, call uh, them bangers only. Um, yes, that's good. Club. I say we we only want bangers here. Um, yes, I don't know if absolutely. that's helpful. Hell, oh, that's good. I'm gonna use that. Bangers. I'm gonna be like bangers only book club. <laughs> that's right. That's what I said in my last email. If like, you like your steel only. level, three three spicy uh, chili peppers are up. Or actually, four spices mm-hmm. are up. Let's be realistic. Mm-hmm. Please come yeah. to my home where there will be cocktails and <laughs> laughter. I feel like you have to rate yeah. what each spice level is, though, right? Like, you yeah, know, true, two, true, ch- true. two chilies is second base because everybody's spice level. The what they true. see is a five is like for yeah. uh, for us is like I'll a send one. a key. I'll take a little key. I'll, yeah, I'll send a key. key. You need a key. <laughs> <laughs> if there is no P and V during the book in an open fashion, we will not be reading that book. <laughs> yeah. You need criteria. I'm telling you. Yeah, I want everyone yeah. to be happy. I want everybody to feel good about the books that we choose. And I also just want to like need some people who also like to read really scandalous romances with me. Oh, the best, <laughs> really the best. I know. It's my new neighborhood. You know, I gotta, I gotta make I the right like, friends. The right friends. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's like a good, really scandalous one I read recently. There was like I had read my first mafia book. Um, so fun. and that was, I know it was really fun because like, I'm not that into alpha men in general, but like obviously those mafia books are all about alpha men, and I was like, oh my god, why? do I like this so much? Like, why am I really into this? And I am really into it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I would say that technically it's contemporary, but it really is a, it really is a fantasy novel. It's not really yeah. contemporary. I mean, it's based in contemporary right. times, That's true. sort That's of, true. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it hits that same trigger for me as like a werewolf or a vampire mm-hmm. or an That's alien true. because it's like, right. I'm never, they have to get married. Yeah. Knock on wood, God forbid, hopefully never going to meet a real mafia person in my lifetime uh, who's dangerous because that doesn't seem like something I want to do in real life. But, but, but also in book form, I want to be in the organization. I want to know how it works. <laughs> I want to watch you kill people for me, torture a little bit. Why not? I mean, do what it, you got to do. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you in that it's like fantasy and whatever. It's the closest you can get to like real life, right? Where you can actively accept that this person has to be an alpha male they can't do what they yeah, do they and not be bad and right. not be it That's then true. you get to show them being soft to the person right their softer mm-hmm. side so you, it allows them to do that and it allows you to to justify from one person ruthlessness and then great compassion and there's something really i don't know primal i think there's like just that primal yeah. thing in us that we want to deny when we're like we're civilized that primal element that you just can't get out of the lizard brain that's yeah. what mafia does for yeah. me it puts me straight in lizard brain i'm like whenever yeah. i read a mafia book it's the only time where i'm actually like you know what she could get pregnant i generally hate when they get pregnant all the time <laughs> but in the mafia book i'm like banger banger put a baby in her oh my god like so it's <laughs> it just it's a different spot that's right (laughs) all right well Erin it has been a delight chatting with you today 
Thank you for well, coming thank and you hanging so out with much us. for having me. Yeah, I love talking about sex with you both. So I hope when book two comes out, we can just dissect these sex scenes together. Let's do it. Oh my God, we would love, absolutely love to have us back. Please put us on your list of people to contact when book two is out. I'm on um, it. You I'm guys, on for it. Butter or Wares is out everywhere that you can get books. It comes out on July 26th, which is the day this interview will drop. But if you're listening to it later, it's already out. Hooray. Um, dear listeners, until next time, may your books be your lover. And your hand, your best friend. Thanks for hanging in with us, romance readers. Head over to Instagram to continue chatting with us. We're super friendly. We want to cackle with you. We want to know what your favorite sex scene was. And we need more book recommendations. If you want to read along with us, go to our website, romanceataglance.com, to see what we're reading next. And we'll see you next podcast.